Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers. Hook them up. 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. Hook up indeed. We roll on. Mr. Rainey just saw a note where uh, this neck of the woods, Rod, we're in Onion Creek, South Austin. The Onion Creek compound this morning again. Uh, just not far from me down in Pewdo. had all four inches of rain since midnight. Whoa. And I will tell you. That's it, way more than they expected. Then. Yes. I mean, it's, yeah. it's been, uh, you can expect Onion Creek, which is <laughs> this golf course we, we're looking at runs along Onion Creek, uh, to fill up quite quickly with all that rain. Four inches in 12, in what are we, nine hours now? Man. Inside nine hours. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been coming down. And I heard it uh, last night about 1, 2 o'clock. Slept started. like a baby last night because of it. Oh, man, it just started. Dom- now, now, there's no, no lightning or thunder, just just, just, just a, a training shower from south to north, and it's just dropping a lot of rain. So uh, be advised that's going to continue today. Uh, it's bringing some warmer air, so it won't be as cold as it's been, mm-hmm. but uh, you're going to deal with it. Uh, so be, be safe out there if you're even now. It's been a, a rough morning commute, obviously. We're talking about the, the uh, divisional playoffs and the four games this weekend. Uh, all very compelling. I mean, the Houston game turned out to be the widest margin. It was 10-10 at the half, and the Ravens flexed in a big way in the second half. Uh, but all the games were close, tough, and tight. Uh, the other three all the way to the end, uh, including the, the uh, game last night where Tyler Bass missed a 44-yard field goal that could have tied that game with 147 to go. But as I'm sitting there, Rod, I'm kind of playing the game with them. I'm like, you're really going to go for it? This is why I was kind of disappointed in Josh Allen's decision-making there in that last, that last drive after the two-minute warning. Uh, two incomplete passes. When he had other, he took a deep, a couple deep shots. When he had guys open underneath, mm-hmm. I mean, even if you kick that field goal, do you really think you're going to win the game with Patrick Mahomes and a minute forty-seven to go? No, no, not with that guy. Yeah, I mean, you got to know who you're playing. Yeah, yeah it matters. <laughs> and that's where time. I mean, and I think Josh Allen's a really, really good player. I mean, he's a great football player. But in that moment, this is where the great one, the really great ones, rise up, Rod. So, okay, we're not. We're not settling for a field goal here. We're putting this ball in the end zone, and we're going to try to leave as little time as we can on the clock. I know you can't control everything, but I just felt like the two incomplete passes were not good decisions. They just weren't. And it turned out to – so you end up stopping the clock twice. So even if you make the field goal, I guess you could go to overtime, but you got Patrick Mahomes with almost two minutes and a a timeout left or two. Harrison Bucker's a good cold-weather kicker. Yeah, but Patrick Mahomes' clutch gene is oh, unbelievable. Off the charts. Yeah, so I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Even if they can, if they did tie it up, uh, you leave him too much time. Yeah, I thought they were they were putting themselves in peril anyhow. Uh, but yeah, the, the wind got a hold of that kick and just pushed it off to the right. So uh, that was disappointing for the Bills. As and it's funny that how we started the show and we'll re. So there was the stat that was shown during the game that in, in the previous six matchups between these two teams, Bills and Chiefs. They're 3-3 three and three against one another, and both teams coming into the game had scored an identical 216 points. So th- they seemingly are this close. Like, they, they couldn't be more evenly matched. Yet, as you point out, they seem to be miles apart. Like, it's like when it matters most, who do you trust? And, again, mm-hmm. total same amount of points, three wins. But in the clutch moments in the AFC playoffs, like this is – it's those moments that matter. It really is. And and even this one, if he makes the kick, he might end up in overtime. So it's, you know, whatever 216 plus 27 is. I mean, you've scored the same amount of points, but it just feels like the Chiefs are head and shoulders better than the Bills, even though the numbers would tell you they're really not. It's very close. But, you know, that's, that's you know, hand grenades and horseshoes, Rod. Yeah, you can't – they can't beat uh, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in the playoffs. Uh, and no matter how much they – 
uh, evolved this blueprint they have. They they got Sean McDermott not calling the defensive plays. Uh, they made Joe Brady the offensive coordinator. All those things led to them, you know, I think having the hottest winning streak in the league since, what, week 12? I mean, they were the hottest team in the league. Nobody wanted to play the Bills. And you see why, because they are a really tough team to defend. But in clutch time, they you need him to elevate and separate and I hope people don't think we're dogging Josh Allen because we're not dogging no, Josh no, Allen. No, 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 Josh Allen is, is is playing at an elite level. He's one of the elite quarterbacks in the league. But if you're going to beat Patrick Mahomes, who is kind of the Michael Jordan right now, of and it, and and some people and make the great point on the text line, his career is actually off to a better start than Michael Jordan's career. So if you're going to beat the right now the best quarterback in the game, who has the best start to a a pro sports career probably in American pro sports history. You're gonna have to elevate in clutch time and be more clutch than he is, and I don't think Josh Allen did that. I don't know if he was able in that point to elevate his play to being better than Patrick Mahomes in that moment, and that's what you're asking for. And that's that's the game right now. That's the game of inches we're talking about. Yeah, that's the, being, the magnifying glass that yeah. go on to these games because it really is. I mean, yeah. And and look, with 150 to go, you're coming out of the two-minute warning. That has to be on – and I'm sure it was on everybody in the Bills. Guys, we have a chance to control this game. We've got the ball. We've got a couple timeouts. Let's go win this thing. Let's, let's, let's end this game. And obviously – First down run goes for nothing almost, then two back-to-back passes then end up incomplete, and you're settling for a long field goal. Um, that didn't – I don't know. It's football. There's 11 guys on the field. I'm not putting it all on Josh Allen. I'm just saying that's when the, the great teams, the great players elevate, and I didn't see him elevate last night in that spot. And let's be honest, after a great first half where the Bills scored 17 points mm-hmm. and Josh Allen scored two with his own legs – they only scored seven in the second half, and they didn't score any in the fourth quarter. Take some props to the Chiefs' defense. And that, and, and that, that goes to the script of the Chiefs. They give mm-hmm. up the fewest second-half points of any team in the league. Yep. Steve Spagnuolo and that defense make great adjustments. So, again, credit where credit is due, but it's also the game we talk about. And it's funny that ESPN this morning, Dan Orlovsky keeps showing the same two plays I'm talking about on second and third down where Josh Allen, you know, he had opportunities to hit Stephon Diggs and get a first down and, you know, inch closer, bleed some clock, try to get yourself a touchdown. Heck, Josh Allen inside the 10-yard line is the ultimate weapon run. Oh, yeah. His legs, ability to run through people. Um, unbelievable. I don't know why we're throwing post routes. Um, yeah, and even, again, I'm, I'm like, Josh, if you're going to – even if you hit Shakur with a touchdown, there's still a minute and 50 to go. Uh, the clock is your enemy, too. You, you've got to use you, – you've got to take this opportunity from the 30-something yard line to use as much clock as possible, not give that dude the ball back, and end this game in your own building and be a hero. And they couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Yeah. Disappointing. Meanwhile, it was uh, – you know, the opposite way in the Green Bay-San Francisco game on Saturday night where it looked for all the world the whole game like the 49ers were going to blow that game and the Packers were going to take it and do like they did to the Cowboys and, and just shock the world. And Purdy. And Brock Purdy had played miserable the whole night, Rod, and what a drive. Clutch team. What a drive. Doesn't, just because you had a clutch team doesn't make you a great player. Doesn't necessarily mean you played great, but when they needed you to be at your best in that critical moment, that's when he showed up, and apparently with 6.18 left on the clock, this comes from um, uh, Odyssey Sports, that from 6.18 left on the clock, San Francisco 49ers were trailing by four points. Brock Purdy said to the guys in the huddle, according to Chris Conley, who was the wide receiver that caught that seven route. By the way, that was the first catch that Chris Conley had from Brock Purdy all season long. Crazy. Was on that, on that, on that uh, game-winning drive. Isn't that crazy? Um, but he said to the guys this time, according to Chris Conley, hey, guys, lock in. The time is now. This might, this might be our last opportunity. 
Lock in. Let's go. It took them on a 760-some yard drive and stuck it in the end zone. Hey. And um, they win the game because, you know, game. as I mentioned, you know, Jordan Love was red hot for three quarters. His last four drives, he had a quarterback rating of 16 and threw an uh, you know, interception you can't throw with, with still some time on the clock. So, you know, these are the games that get magnified. We know that. It just is. It's how it goes. I mean, Houston had a great year, but, you know, not being able to find, score an offensive touchdown in eight mm-hmm. quarters against the Ravens is something they're going to have to look into. Because uh, the Ravens are a team you're going to have to beat again next year. So right. got to figure some things out. So we'll, we'll talk about these games. The Lions did show the clutch gene. They kind of took over in the second half, built a 31-17 lead over the uh, Buccaneers and ended up winning that game 31-23. And uh, the game last night was, was quite the classic. So we've got our final four set in the NFL. Rod will have a rant here coming up. Um, this says, guys, last night Romo said Patrick Mahomes has never missed the AFC Championship game since he joined the league. Is that right? Well, no. Since he's become the starting quarterback in Kansas City, he's always made the AFC Championship game six straight years. That's crazy. This is the first time he'll be playing home, though, right? On the road. On the road, yeah. This will be the first road AFC Championship game for him. We just had his first road playoff game. Yeah, and he's taking shots from the snowballs in Buffalo. I just, yeah. (laughs) But, uh, you know, it's one of those – Look, what can you say more about Patrick Mahomes? I mean, and this is, I mean, and guess what? Against the Ravens, I think the Ravens have the advantage at really every other position on the field. Yeah, but I, I but but that. but everybody will give the Chiefs a chance because they got fifteen. You just wouldn't be shocked if they were able to pull it out. Yeah. Just because of how good he is. Yeah, because he's got that gene that yeah. they can keep it close into the fourth quarter. They do have a real good defense in Kansas City. That's kind of their 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 identity this year. So, yeah, that'll be a fun one. I think, as you said, you're a Niners fan. Kyle Shanahan's one of your best friends. Uh, that, that Lions team is scary. I mean, they, they, they knew they were good, but, man, back-to-back, tough, hard-fought wins in the playoffs. They've got some maturity. They, they've grown up a little bit here. They okay. And that second half, those two touchdown drives were – that showed some stones. Let's go get this thing. That's what I'm talking about. Josh, Jared Goff said, let's go. Well, Jared, I think Jared Goff is the key, right? He's, he's playing his best football of his career right now. And he's playing with confidence, and they're infusing him with confidence. They keep uh, relying on him in clutch time to make clutch plays. And even that, uh, when they threw the ball, the touchdown to Monroe State Brown, I mean, that was touchdown was on the money. And that that drive that sealed the game for them. That drive went through Jared Goff. They, the confidence that Ben Johnson has in Jared Goff, that the organization has in Jared Goff, um, it is really paying huge dividends because you tell now he's playing. He is playing more confident now than he was playing with Sean McVay when he went to the Super Bowl. Yeah, he is. He looks like a different player then, and that, he was a he was a really good. That was his best year, probably, probably his best year prior to this year. Yeah, he was thirty of forty three, two eighty seven, and two touchdowns. And those two second half touchdown drives were huge. Jameer Gibbs broke off that big twenty one yard touchdown run, uh, showing that speed to the corner. Um, big-time player. So, yeah, I mean, this will – you know, I think the Niners will be favored in the game, but at the same time – They're scary. Detroit's scary. Detroit has – They got an emotional edge right now they're playing with that is just damn near scary. And Dan Campbell, listen, this guy's the, – the, the beauty of Dan Campbell, this is the beauty and the curse, really, to Dan Campbell. The, it is his genius, but also I think it end up, could end up being also his insanity. He's never been a coordinator, so he doesn't think like a coordinator. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Most, most coaches have been a coordinator. So they think like a coordinator. He doesn't. And he's just a position coach. And that's why his fourth, the fourth quarter tendencies they have are wild and crazy and risque you know what I mean? and extreme. And some of the stuff that he does down on the goal line. 
Also extreme. So he he plays four quarter four sorry four 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 quarter football, but four four down football a lot. A lot. So instead of you thinking, oh man, we got three downs. No, no, you got four downs a lot of the time, especially when you creep close to the fifty. He's a four down guy, and it seems like usually the bigger the moment, the bigger the stage. Most coaches they get, I think they get less risky in the their approach. He 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 takes more gambles. Yeah. The bigger the game. Remember that, that Cowboys game? He just kept going, like, the penalty, the penalty. But that's because he's not a coordinator. That's the gift and the curse. The, the, the curse is also that if he was a coordinator, he'd decide, all right, guys, we're going to just kick this, kick field, this goal. field goal and we'll just play for overtime. No, 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 he's not. So emotion also drives his coaching philosophy. That's good and that's bad because he doesn't have that coordinator within him that's going to bring rationality and like, reason to the situation. He's, he's working all on emotion. I'm, I'm upset. Let's go. Let's show them. Well, and they can bite you if you're playing them, or you can use it to your advantage. Yes, doubt. yes, uh, either one. And I'll say this. I mean, I, I, if I'm the Niners, I'm thinking, you know, remember, remember after the Texans walloped the Browns, you know, Kevin Stefanski's message was, you know, we picked a real bad day to have a bad day. Uh, <laughs> I think the Niners had a bad day, and they still won the game. Mm-hmm. Debo Samuel got hurt. Uh, Brock Purdy couldn't grip the football. He was having a hell of a time. It just felt all the world like they were not going to win this game. I and you're, thought that. And you're thinking, well, you know what? Now you're, you've seen the light. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, you don't wonder if the Niners come out and play their best football. And we'll get an update on Debo Samuel as the week goes on. But, uh, but I do agree. The Lions, I mean, I know not just because they're from Detroit and the cars, but they've got a lot of horsepower, Rod. Yeah, they got know. a really good offensive line. they got a really confident quarterback. They've got two really good running backs. Amon Rice St. Brown is a problem. Um, you know, Sam Laporta, the rookie tight end, is a problem. Much like the Niners, they just have really good players. They're well-constructed. Yeah. The roster is well-constructed. Yes. And I think, you know, we've talked about it earlier, you really got to give them some props from the way that they approached roster building. Even recently when they had those picks, they were criticized for drafting non-premium positions pretty high. And those non-premium position guys have, have really been an asset for them. We're talking about Jameer Gibbs. Uh, we're talking about Jack Campbell. Uh, yeah, they drafted them high, but they, they trusted their evaluations. They trusted their draft board. And they're so aligned with what the coach needs and with what the GM, right, can, uh, can acquire. They're so aligned there. That's why they're, like I said, the construct. They don't have a lot of holes. No, they do not. Because the coach secondary, but both that's kind of like second, the Niners too. They're they're they're, they're their hole yeah. would be the secondary. Yes, but it's a, in the sense, salary cap league. You you gonna have a hole. You gonna have a hole. So I mean, it's just you can't have nobody's gonna let you have a perfect uh, roster construction because that's what the salary cap is all about. You gotta decide where you want to build, where you want to spend your money and resources. And the the Forty Nineers all about the front, right? The front seven. They like, we draft in the front seven, we pay front seven. Secondary, well, we'll figure that out. <laughs> that's so they invest in pass rush and pressure. They don't invest in coverage. Um, and it's interesting what the the Detroit Lions. It, it seems like they've invested more in the front. Makes make sense with Dan Campbell, too, and less in coverage. Um, but that Brian Branch, that was a nice pickup for them. And by, and none premium position. That Brian Branch pickup, he's one of their top three best defensive players now. 100%. Uh, and again, that's I was going to say that's a big part of that why they are so good because they hit on all four of those rookies. They did, and those guys are cheap labor, Rod. Those guys are the affordable labor that you need, and they're all four not just starters but huge contributors. But not at premium positions. Yes, <laughs> which is and which is going uh, it's kind of counter to what the NFL is doing right now. 
You're going against the grain a little bit. Well, and currently you have a pretty quarterback-friendly contract for Jared Goff because mm -hmm. uh, the big balloon was played by the Rams, and you, know, you have to decide on him. He's an unrestricted free agent after this season's over. They'll probably franchise tag him, but yep. they got to figure out the Jared Goff thing too. But he's, he's friendly currently as far as the cap hit and the contract goes as compared to the other top quarterbacks in this league. Oh, yeah. So uh, hitting, hitting on rookies and having a friendly quarterback contract helps a lot in roster construction. Niners have that too with, with uh, the Brock Purdy situation. Makes Who, life easy. Has to play a better game. All right, uh, let's, uh, we'll pick up those conversations. We're talking all things divisional playoffs and looking forward to the championship Sunday. Also, Longhorn conversation right now. Let's get Rod's second rant of a, two, of a Monday. Rod's rant of the day is brought to you by Apple Leasing, the easiest and safest way to get a new car. Any make, any model. Click AppleLeasing.com and experience how easy it is. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite. And start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God! Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Oh, no, you've done it now. It's time for Rod's Rant of the Day. Hold on to your butts. All right, I want to talk about the uh, Texans and their loss to the Ravens. You know, first of all, the, the Ravens are just a better team. We've been talking about that all uh, all day long, and we talked about it all week long last week too. But I was surprised the Texans actually kept it close. It was a 10-10 uh, tie at halftime, but after that, we saw the Ravens pull away. Uh, we even heard from Lamar Jackson about his now kind of famous halftime speech. We're from some other guys describing his halftime speech a little bit later on and who said that. But I always point out in uh, big games, you got to break tendency. If you want to win a big game, a lot of focus on your trends, a lot of focus on uh, the patterns and the tendencies of teams, your habits. And last week, I, I said that, you know, if, if D'Amico Ryan's considering the talent deficit, he's not – and uh, that they're – the Texans are a good team. They won a division, but compared to the Ravens, they're at a talent disadvantage. And considering that, you need to gamble. You're going to have to gamble. You're just going to have to to stay in this game. Um, and they did. They gambled on defense early on this game. I said, you got to blitz. You got to blitz Lamar Jackson only because when he drops back, instead of having to defend three plays in one, you only have to defend one play. All right, if you if you let him drop back without a blitz, you got to defend the initial play. Then you got to defend the scramble drill. Then you got to defend him as a runner. And he's elite in all those categories. He's an elite pocket passer. He's elite when he's extending the play, second reaction plays, and the scramble drill. And he's elite once he decides to tuck the ball as a runner. He's one of the more elusive uh, ball carriers in all the NFL. So you just don't want to have to defend all three of those plays or scenarios in one because your defense will be worn out and then that's the chance for them to get a big play downfield because you've got to cover for seven, eight, nine seconds. Your defense is worn out and then he starts tucking the ball and running and your guys just don't have the juice to keep up. Or you just can't keep up defending that, that scenario for four quarters. It'll just wear you down too much. D'Amico Ryan seemed to agree. Uh, Lamar Jackson faced a career high 75% blitz rate. Um, and he, but, I mean, he's the MVP, so, I mean, you only can do so much. But he had a 75% blitz rate against him, uh, completing 13 of 18 passes against the blitz for 120 yards and two touchdowns. Um, he got rid of the ball quicker in the second half. The key was um, in the first half, you were getting to him. You had three sacks, 11 pressures uh, when you were blitzing him in the first half. Um, second, I think about 10 pressures is what they say here in next gen stats. 10 pressures, three sacks just on blitzes alone 
in the first half. So you were, st- and they only had ten points. That was the key, and you were taking. He took longer to get rid of the football. He was processing. Not only seeing the pressure, but he's also trying to process what was happening with the coverages downfield. And he held on to the ball for three and a half seconds on average. Uh, in the second half, he got rid of the football in two point two seconds which means he did not have to process much. He knew exactly what he was seeing. They made the right adjustments. Uh, they went with a lot more quarterback run game, which with Lamar Jackson makes a lot of sense. Um, and also, you know, they, did, they had some great adjustments too in their red zone packages. But I like D'Amico Ryan's initial game plan. It was to gamble, and he gambled. It just uh, the adjustments by the Ravens. And in the second half, those gambles did not pay off as much because they made – uh, I think the adjustments to the hot routes, uh, to the screen game, and Christian Harris, who had one of his best games of the season, he generated team I six pressures um, on 13 pass rushes, the most unblocked pressure by any pass rusher in a game this season. So you had some really sophisticated pressure packages. They were able to get some guys in there unblocked. Um, it just couldn't last. I mean, you were able to do it for two quarters after that. Um, they were able to uh, make the necessary adjustments and – you just couldn't defend Lamar Jackson in all, like I said, in all of those different areas, him as a runner, him as a pocket passer, him as a second reaction player. That's a lot. That's a lot. And that's a, there's a reason they're the toughest offense to defend the league right now. Yeah, and the, the stingiest defense. Along with the best. <laughs> they said the last time, I believe the last time you had an MVP um, that also was paired up with the top scoring defense, they said it was Brett Favre. Ooh. That was the last time you had an MVP paired up with a top uh, scoring defense in the NFL. It's just it's tough. It's just going to be really tough to defend that that offense, no matter who you are. Well, I mean it's January too, and you go for 230 rushing yards versus 38. Yeah. Uh, and then you and if you're Houston, you only rush for 38 yards, and you have 11 penalties. So you're putting yourself against the change Eight about a run snap. game. Yeah, eight pre-snap, you know, to a, to a player, the Texans talked about the noise, the crowd noise at MT and Bank Stadium or eight MT Bank or whatever they call it was was uh, deafening. You could hear it even through the TV. And they were having a hard time. George Fant struggled. I mean, I think everybody took turns jumping off sides. And, you know, got a oh, young, yeah. young quarterback in that crowd, in that environment. I mean, that's why the home field advantage matters. And, uh, and it, it was unfortunate for Houston fans because it seemed like they'd have a good drive going. They'd cross into your approaching, you know, field goal range or, or, or even scoring zone. And then you'd have an offsides, mm-hmm. and then you'd push it back, and then you, so now you're second and fifteen without a run game. Uh, I think you're, you're, you know, Bobby Slowick's a really good play call. He had a hard time at that point when you're playing against the chains, against a good defense, and you know that the the other thing the crowd noise does, Rod, is that you jump offsides, but you know your your linemen are half step slow getting off the line, mm-hmm. right? Because now they're worried about jumping yep. offsides, exactly and right. that gives the defense the advantage and and get immediate pressure, and they're really good. I mean, they're really a good team, obviously, giving up the fewest points per game. I mentioned this earlier, but as we get ready for this game this weekend, so we're now down to four teams, Rod. The, the Ravens have not played the Chiefs yet this year, but they have played Detroit and San Francisco, and now Houston twice. In those four matchups with good good teams, Detroit scored six points. San Francisco scored 19. They beat them 33-19. Mm-hmm. Houston played them twice and didn't score a touchdown offensively in eight quarters. Wow. And they combined to score 56 points in the two games. So they score a lot, and they're hard to get off the field, and they don't give up a lot of points. I mean, that's a great recipe to win a lot of football games. Yeah, also held Mike McDaniel on that Miami offense to 19 points too. Beat them 56-19. 
Yeah. So. And it feels like they're getting better. Shano, yeah. I mean, it, they they definitely know. he Mike McDaniel, Mike McDonald, excuse me, um, he definitely knows something about defending the, the Mick Shanahan tree of coaches. He's he's figured out something because you talked about Sloic. He did the same thing as Shanahan, Mike McDaniel. The only one he didn't really have a ton of success defending was Sean McVay's Rams. Right when they got going, I think they scored like thirty six, thirty one points. points. Yeah, uh, yeah, thirty one points, maybe something like that. So that's that may be the only one, but everybody else, even Ben Johnson, who doesn't, it's not from the McShanahan tree. He's just a great offensive mind. Six made that guy look pedestrian. He yeah. making everybody look bad. And they're not doing anything exotic. I mean, they they run pattern match zone. They they don't blitz a ton. Hell, he had his second highest blitz rate of the season in the first half versus the Texans. Yeah, he's um, just he's just brilliant at being able to really scheme up. Creative pressure packages. Well, I think I think your assessment last week opened my eyes and was a great point that the Rams. I watched that whole Rams game and the Rams really picked them apart with Puka Nakua and Cooper Cup. And it's almost like as you said that okay, that's the McShanahan offense. That's Sean McVay, and they they learned from it mm-hmm. because then they played Kyle Shanahan and stumped them, and then they played Mike McDonald and they stuffed them. I mean, they, now they're playing Bobby Slowick, so they have the recipe for that. Now you're going to get Mahomes and Andy Reid. Yeah, and if they get to play Shanahan again. Man, they said they got the recipe. They do, and they're and, and and Lamar is playing really relaxed and really confident football right now. He's you know his 100 yards rushing were killers. I mean that's really uh, you said you like the Texans defensive game plan. They just don't have the horses right now, especially they a don't. linebacker. I don't think and no. that you know Lamar just is just really it's what makes him a problem. I mean you you cover everybody, you do a good job behind it, and that guy's legs are still a real real problem. It's the biggest problem in the NFL right now. Like this, there's no tougher problem to solve than the Lamar Jackson problem. Because he can really throw it. <laughs> he can he's really got, run it. I mean, Zay Flowers, Rashad Bateman, Isaiah Likely, you know, Aguilar and Beckham. I mean, they yeah. got they got pieces, and they may get Mark Andrews back. And I, I would lean towards guessing that Mark Andrews will play because he almost played in this game. And so he's got another week to heal up. I would guess you see Mark Andrews out Honestly, there in the AFC Championship. Yeah, because I guess you got two weeks before the Super Bowl. So you can put him out there. If he re-injures it, you'd have two more weeks to get him ready. But honestly, Greg Roman, and the crazy thing about it, Lamar Jackson about to win his second MVP, running a totally different system. Not any system even similar yeah. to what he ran. I mean, with Greg Roman, you're running 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends, 21 personnel. You're having more running backs and tight ends on the field than wide receivers at time. And he wins unanimous MVP running that system. And now, fast forward, he's basically kind of running that, the Kaepernick system from back in the day. Now you fast forward. And now he's running essentially Todd Munkin's air raid offense <laughs> where he's spreading teams out. And then you realize, I don't know if there's an offense he couldn't run. Yeah. He can run all of them, but this one is easily the more, the more dangerous um, because Greg Roman was doing us a favor by not spreading him out enough. But now they, they still use the Greg Roman stuff. They'll still come out there with multiple tight ends and running backs, but now they can just come out and also spread you out the next down. With three and four wide receivers, and that is just unfair. Yeah, when they, it's unfair. When, you know, when he spreads you out, now you got a real problem. Oh, you got to have someone who can spy him or run with him. And, Come and on. Who has that? Who has that? Then they got <laughs> then they bring in dragon routes right behind the spy. And if the spy, if he does, if he if he spends spend too much time and resources worried about Lamar Jackson, then I got crossing routes right behind him. If he's worried too much about the crossing route, at least too much grass for Lamar. There's really. No right answer. <laughs> it's good stuff, and that's why the, the the matchups against the really good teams in the league have been really one-sided in Ravens' favor, including this one, 34-10. All right, there's Rod's rant. Good stuff right there. Texans' uh, really big step-forward season comes to an end, but remember the Texans – 
you know, have a lot to like about their team. They have the third most cap space in the league and uh, draft capital to go improve upon what was a, uh, um, you know, a divisional playoff appearance this year and hopefully more next for Texans fans. We'll come back when we do. Uh, we'll get back into these conversations. Also uh, reset some of our, our uh, off-the-record stories. And, Rod, we've got to play some Who Said That Who before said the end that? of this hour. Let's hook them up with Ian Rod B. Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, hook them up. 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. Hey, Rob, we mentioned uh, Longhorns hosted a uh, big defensive tackle from Arizona over the weekend mm-hmm. who has ties to the Longhorns' new linebackers coach. Oh, yeah. The big winner in the transfer portal over the weekend, Ohio State. Ohio State, after Alabama freshman quarterback Julian Sayan uh, announced he is uh, dropping, you know, backing out of his Alabama commitment. He is now headed to Ohio State, as is. Caleb Downs. Caleb Downs, the number one player in the transfer portal, the safety. And by all accounts, they got outbid by Georgia. Georgia, I I saw a story from a Georgia insider, Rod, that Georgia, all the way up to the president's office, were pretty certain that Caleb Downs was coming to Georgia. Yeah, because I think his DB coach went there. Yes. Something like that. So that's why people were certain. And and when he came out of high school, he chose was down to Georgia and Alabama. Okay. Uh, But Caleb Downs is a freshman All-American and, like, the, the insider said we got the word from some our our source in the president's office that they were you know getting them enrolled and that kind of stuff, classes taken care of. So it might have come down to the wire then. And then yeah, the you know, Ohio State with a massive offer essentially. Well, I will say this about Ohio State. I don't know how much you know this was involved in the young man's uh, decision, but I will say that Jim Knowles, who's the defense coordinator there at Ohio State, Lohan fans know from his time at Oklahoma State. Um, he uses that three high safety package. He uses the three high safety, and he uses more three safety than anybody else. He might have just a better pitch overall. Like money wise, I don't know if there was that big of a difference between Ohio State and NIL resources than in Ohio State and Georgia. But I wonder if when it came to showing him exactly how he was going to be weaponized and utilized, if Jim Knowles just did a way job, better job. Yeah. Well, this insider made it seem like it was a money situation okay. with Ohio State. But either way, but, you know, that's the NIL today. And the Buckeyes, um, you know, they're desperate. Their rival just won the national championship. They're not happy in Columbus, Rod. Uh, also over the weekend, the, the uh, five-star Alabama tackle, Caden Proctor. He's also born in Georgia. Yeah, he was born in Georgia. He was born in Georgia. Caleb Downs, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Iowa, uh, Iowa is where Caden Proctor is going to go. Remember Caden Proctor, the five-star who was starting at left tackle for Alabama this year. Uh, he's from the state of Iowa, though. He's from Des Moines. Okay. And so he's going, he's going back to play at Iowa in the Big Ten. Uh, and so, Rob, when you look at the schools that have made the biggest jump through the portal, Texas has had a good run in the portal this, this offseason, filling holes and bringing in, you know, productive players at need positions. Oregon has had a really good run here uh, with players they have added, quarterbacks, and, uh, you know, a lot of good players going to Oregon. And Ohio State has had a pretty good run, too, uh, including Will Howard, the uh, the quarterback, and, um, the the Bill O'Brien news took us by surprise last week, but it looks like Bill O'Brien is going to be coming in to, to be the offensive coordinator at Ohio State. So Ryan Day is trying to make some moves to, you know, combat what's happening up at Michigan. We still haven't heard anything from Jim Harbaugh. No. Uh, other than he's taking interviews in the NFL. He hasn't um, left yet, though. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with that. It's taking a while. I think it's going to take a while to play out. By the time he makes his decision, it's going to be too late for any of those players to hit the transfer portal um, and might be too late for a coaching search. At that time, all your good candidates could be gone. It's Michigan. You can always poach somebody else. But, man, a lot of contracts being signed, a lot of extensions being signed, buyouts being raised and increased. I don't know. 
It's okay. for Michigan. You run out of options the longer you wait, I guess. Yes. Well, and today is an interesting day in the NFL because a new rule they adopted for this season prohibited in-person interviews of coaching candidates under contract with other teams until the conclusion of the divisional round of the playoffs. Yeah. So that's why Bill Belichick was able to have an in-person Zoom interviews. Zoom because he's yeah. not under contract anymore. Yeah. He's been let out of his contract by the – but you can do Zooms. Can do so Zooms. a lot of these guys were doing Zooms. But today is when you can – you know, sit down. So Ben Johnson with the with the Lions could do a, a sit down interview of Bobby Slowick's probably gonna get a couple. Bobby Slowick, Dan Quinn, tech, Dan Quinn. Mm-hmm. That's another good example of that yeah. from the Cowboys. They were always they were all Zoom calls, and you know, we all do Zooms and those kind of things, live streams. You know, it's more impactful to be face to face with somebody and it talk is. to somebody and be able to sit down with them for you know several hours and have good conversations. So that begins today. So you can expect that the the spinning cycle of coaches maybe speeds up today. Potentially. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, because, I mean, I think it kind of died out. I mean, it's, there was a lot of hype about the coaching carousel, and I guess they're going to wait until they can get those face-to-face interviews. Yeah. Um, I thought with the pool of coaching candidates that, you know, you might have some teams act a little hasty, but, no, they're going to do their due diligence. Good the only for one that's done is Antonio Pierce to the Raiders, right? I mean, he yeah. is. Yeah, and I don't know if they had a choice because you had players talking about they wanted to be traded or they wanted, <laughs> right? uh, they wanted out if Antonio Pierce wasn't hired. So they might have been forced tail wagging the dog there. Early reports, by the way, we were talking about earlier, Rod, uh, that uh, Debo Samuel 50-50 to be able to play in the NFC title game this weekend. And, uh, That's not good. The early lines are out. What do you make of this? The Ravens favored by three and a half Is over it? the Chiefs, which mm-hmm. is the three in the hook. And the uh, 49ers favored by seven over the Detroit Lions. 49ers favored by seven. A touchdown. That's a big number. It's a big them. number considering Debo may not play. Yeah, that's a big because that, that offense changes. Anytime you're missing any of their their uh, important pieces, um, he's built that you know the, he's built that offense as a kind of a, a malleable kind of a monster of multiplicity, right? It's just it's all these different movable chess pieces that can all be matchup nightmares depending on what your defense presents and what kind of personnel you have. Um, and that's Debo. I can put him in the backfield, put him at wide receiver. That's Christian McCaffrey, backfield wide receiver as well. Um, that's Kittle. I can put him at, you know, slide. I can put him at tight end, inline tight end. I can put him in the backfield as an H-back. Even use check, same thing, right? I got four different guys to the movable chess pieces. And I will say when he loses one of those, it makes the offense a lot easier to defend. Like, especially when you use one like Debo because he's your – all pro kind of uh, malleable hybrid piece there. Um, but Brandon Ayuk, you know, it makes him easier to defend, right? Because teams just can double Brandon Ayuk then. And that takes Brandon Ayuk away because he's your man beater. And all that stuff, you have all these movable chess pieces, but you got one guy who's going to most of the time, because you'll have, you'll have your opponents devoting resources to pass off all of your different movable chess pieces in coverage and prior to the snap, you're going to be using a lot of your resources, all right, just to make sure that you have as many interchangeable and you're as malleable as possible. Usually, you just put your cornerback out there, your best corner, and say, all right, stop by you, because I used to want to get don't move around. They don't put them in the backfield. I don't put him in the slide much. Usually on the outside, and that's where he does his uh, his his worst uh, his work out there on the outside. And that's why he's a thousand yard receiver this year. Because usually he's just getting man coverage. He's got to beat man coverage. He can do it consistently. No Debo means I double Ayuk, so I take him away, and then that makes everybody else easier to defend. One hundred percent. Yeah. Because I can put a DB on Kittle, and since I don't, I can you know I don't have I have the one less receiver to defend. Rest of those guys play man coverage, put a DB on Kittle. Because DB, Kittle's great, but Kittle's not Kelsey. No. Not in the pass game. So a DB can handle Kittle pretty much. What you can't handle Kittle is when he starts blocking. 
because <laughs> then he'll make a DB look bad there, a run defender. So you can handle uh, Kittle with just a DB, and then all you're worried about is McCaffrey. Yeah. All, your, all the weapons don't seem as lethal yeah. anymore. Uh, give the Packers a lot of credit, by the way. They had a heck of a game plan, and they just uh, didn't execute late and, and uh, gave that game. Kind of, I don't know if they gave it away, but uh, had their opportunities early and then late to have that game and be mm-hmm. advancing here. And then Detroit would – how about that, that, that crazy place? Yesterday would have hosted the NFC Championship game, and the Packers found a way to win that game, Ooh. and they dang near did. By the way, that game, this is an interesting factoid, Rod, just come to, has just come down. The Packers-Niners game was the most watched Saturday TV broadcast since – the Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding-fueled 1994 wow. Olympics. Get out of here. Are you serious? 37.5 million viewers for Packers 49ers. Most watched Saturday TV broadcast since Kerrigan Harding. Damn. 40 years ago. Whoa. And that was a big – Or 30 bro- years ago. I mean, you talk about a different entertainment ecosystem, period. Like yeah. that, back then, you know, you can get big numbers like that because we didn't have a lot of choices, right? And that was like that was actually a huge event. I, you know, that was a big oh, event back in the that day. Was a, I was in college, and yeah. it was because everybody knows what happened with Nancy Kerrigan and mm-hmm. Lead Pipe. Oh yeah, that was, that thing was huge. Um, they had a you know, feud and all that. And that oh, was, it was every up. soap opera piece of drama you would ever want. Oh man, villains, good people, bad people. Nancy Kerrigan was kind of America's sweetheart. Yeah. You know, Tanya Harding was the trailer trash girl mm-hmm. with the uh, criminal oh, boyfriends. You couldn't, you couldn't write it. It was oh. too good. It was too good. <laughs> and for this game this past weekend to be able to compete with that in this entertainment ecosystem where you don't have close to as many eyeballs Crazy. Uh, on, you know, one television broadcast as you used to, that yeah, NFL's king. The NFL is king. They're, you- they're the number one TV show in America. And second place is like – Mile Grand Canyon size gap behind. Not even close. Not even close. Not even close. And, Nothing. Uh, I, I, we haven't, I haven't seen the ratings for last night's game in Buffalo. I'm assuming they were monstrous. Oh, and man. That had Travis Kelsey and oh, yeah, the Taylor Swifties Swift. And, and, yeah. and it was a good time. game. And it was a great game all the way good to the game. final play, yeah. to the final kick. Uh, all right, so that's there. Real quick, Rod, let me ask you this. From that Bills-Chiefs game, I got in some Twitter battles with some folks about that. Fumble through the end zone out of bounds. No. That turns into a touchback. People hate this rule. I know. And I, my my only because immediately everybody jumped on and says that's the worst rule in sports. Which, again, but I, my argument was no one ever argues what the rule should be, because again you have to go into why the rule is what it is. It's a touchback because the ball, uncontrolled ball into the end zone, out of the end zone. Your job as a defender, Rod, is defend the goal line. Yeah, you're right. And so if the the offensive team fumbles the ball into the end zone, doesn't control it to. We know all it's got to do is touch the. Uh, the front of the, 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 the goal line, right, and it's a goal mm-hmm. touchdown. But if they don't possess the ball, you, as a defender, have done your job. You, you mm-hmm. should be rewarded for that, and the offense should be penalized. Because people will say, well, if it happens out of bounds, they still get the ball back. But that's still in the field of play. That's true. That's not in the end yeah. zone. That's why it's a touchback. Mm-hmm. So I guess my only, not even my argument, my question is, if you want to change the rule, what do you change it to? Yeah, because the other one is basically the consequence is, is too punitive, right? It's, yes. That's what we believe. It's just, that's, that's too much of a consequence you have to pay for fumbling the ball through the end zone when you're on the goal line. Yes. But what should be the penalty is what we're I've asking. heard it offered that you take it back to the 20. You, you give it a touchback, but you keep it with it the offense. But then the argument becomes well, – Go back to their 20? No, go back, go back to the 25-yard so line. So go or, back to the uh, – so their 20 or the opposing team's 20? Which, which 20? Your 20. So you, okay. you're still in field goal range. Uh, uh, I don't know. Gotta, the, see, I don't know if that's punishment enough. Agreed. That's too easy. 
I don't disagree. You get fresh downs and get back there. What if you, what if you fumbled it on third or fourth down? Yeah. Get fresh downs on the 20? Again, field of play is different than the end zone, Rod. And you, you play defense for your whole career. Defending the goal line is your goal. Mm-hmm. That's your mission. Yeah. Do not let them cross the goal line. Period. Keep them out of the end zone, period. And if they don't possess the ball and the ball goes into the end zone and then out of bounds, you've done your job as a defender. There has to be a punitive punishment for the offense. And a reward for the defense. That's correct. Because you did your job. You did your job. Yep. I actually don't know what that should be. That's a great question. Because I, I don't think the 20 is pen punishment enough. Because you're a defender, man. It's like, so I'm back defending the red zone. This is <laughs> my reward. I got to back defend four downs in the red zone again after I just – it, oh, man. Because the down – whatever, whatever down is fumbled on also kind of matters. It does matter. Fumble that thing on third or fourth down. It's way different than fumbling on first. Oh, man, that's a good question. All right, so we'll take your thoughts on that. Yeah. What should the rule be? And, again, this has been a rule in the NFL for a long, long time. Oh, I mean, yeah. This is not a new rule. And if it was, it was the worst rule in sports, the way the NFL does it, they would have changed this rule long ago, in my opinion. Um, this has been debated, I'm sure, in the competition oh, yeah. committee meetings. It has been. And I'm, I think my answer would be that they, they haven't come up with a good solution yet because it does have to be punitive. Yeah, you know, you got to – yeah, no, no, that's a – that's a violation of the highest order and for the football guys. You got to be punished for that. You're on the goal line. You fumble, you fumble the ball through the, the touchdown. Well, we've, seen, we've seen knuckleheads drop the ball before they get there to the goal line, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we see balls roll through. I mean, it's a, it's a very punitive rule, no doubt, because the opposing team then gets the ball. And the argument is, well, they never recovered it. But the, the end zone is their end zone, right? They're trying to defend that end zone. I think that's part of the argument why, you know, if you kick a ball, a punt ball, punted ball goes through the end zone or a kickoff, it's touchback going back the other way I don't um you know because again the only thing I can say that that makes some sense is that you're defending your goal line you did your job some sense meaning what, to explain it because it's not in the field of play it's not out of bounds that's still you can mark that at a line of scrimmage you can see where it went out of bounds and that's where it belongs or it goes back to where the player fumbled it but that's still in the field of play not in the end zone maybe we should go back to their own 20 Ooh, on first down or what first and 10 yeah like a regular old touchback you just go all the way <laughs> I start all the way over again Screw it up. You got to start all the way over again. Go back to your 20, 25, whatever it is. Go touch back well, and start over again. And you know if First the ball – Then the defense would feel they, – they, they, the defense would feel good because they would feel rewarded. Like, all right, at least we got, got them backed up again. And the offense, man, at least we got the ball back. We got the ball back. That might be one. I mean, we'll see if that – Start that's, your own 20. Uh, you know, typically when a rule gets changed, an organization will put it out there for conversation. Mm-hmm. And if it gets voted through, that would be an interesting one. Because, look, if you, if you fumble the ball into your own end zone, it's either – and you get to go through it, it's going to be a safety – that's two points and, and the ball. I mean, that's very punitive to have yes, a safety. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you're awarding yeah. two points to the team and they get the ball on a, on a free kick. So you're saying, okay, yeah. That, yeah, yeah, you're right about that. I mean, but that's a, a safety is supposed to be. Punitive. Uh, yeah, like you're supposed to be penalized for it in a, in a harsh way because, as you talked about, that's one of the biggest violations. That's one of the biggest violations of football. All right, the football gods will see that you fumble the football in your own end zone, backed up like that. And you know, yeah, you got to get the safety, and as a safety, you got to give up the football. And in addition to giving your other team points, I think they should start at the twenty-five. It should be a touchback. They get it at their own twenty or twenty-five because essentially you treat football. The end zones are supposed to extend indefinitely, right? They extend into infinity. So essentially, going back, if you go if you go to the back of the opposing team's uh, end zone then shouldn't it just come back out through the other end zone what the I think, other way? I think to your if argument there, indefinitely? and your rules change, you would still have to explain to me why the offense gets to keep the ball. No one recovered it. Why do, the, the defense is the one that defended the goal line. 
They did. That's their job. Yeah. Why don't they get the ball? Uh, and that becomes the conversation. Because possession is nine tenths of the law, and the last team that possessed it. Yeah, that's fair. Was the offense. Last team to possess it was offense. Last okay, team to possess it. So if you want the ball, you got to kick. You got to take the ball. That's defense, baby. You got to take the ball. You don't. You, nobody has a right to the ball, and the offense has it. You can go take the football, but you don't just get the football. As but you fumbled it through my end zone. That's true. <laughs> but you didn't, you didn't possess the ball. What? Why should you get it when you never possessed the ball? Fair. Yeah, but then well, why should you? You were the I last one. I possess the ball. Possess. I was the last one to have the ball. You're right. I was the last one, so I get the ball back because I was the last one to have it. But okay. I get it back, obviously with a penalty, and the penalty is go back to your own touchback. You know, so whatever it is, kids, twenty-five or the twenty. Lesson for the kids: don't yeah. fumble the ball going into the end. No, wrap no. that bad boy wrap up. Don't reach for the up, end zone. Man. It's uh, yeah. That, those are the two most valuable things about the game: can you the imagine, football and the end zone. <laughs> can you imagine if that had cost the Chiefs and it was it was Miko Arman, another one of these receivers making oh, a big man. mistake in a critical moment? If the Josh Allen could have made him pay for it, yeah. And these receivers over and over and over all year long. Don't trust them making big mistakes. Don't hey, we'll come them. back when we do. Who said that, Rod? Who's a little it? round of audio from the weekend. There's plenty of it. We'll also uh, pick up and get into the fabulous fifth hour on a Monday. It took him up with Ian Rappi. Aaron Hogan. He's got to keep living, man. Rod Babers. L-I-V-I-N. E and Rod B. On the horn. Ooh, and this and that. Who said that? Who said that? Who said that? Who said it time at the end of the fourth hour, headed into our fabulous fifth hour. I wanted to play this for you, Rod, and you can yes, decide. Sir. I think you'll know who it is, but I think it's an intriguing conversation because it happened on this radio station. Oh, yeah. On Friday or Thursday or Friday of last week. I think I heard this. Who said this, Rod Babers, about whom? Before he was a Texan and before he was a Buckeye, C.J. Stroud was a Steeler. Yes, sir, a Pomona Steeler. A Pomona Steeler. Yes, sir. There, look at that kid. But it was multiple teams in my league that were outstanding, that produced some great kids. The Compton Vikings produced uh, Lenore and uh, Keyshawn Mixon. The L.A. Demos produced Romeo Dobbs. So excited watching these games. Now, I don't even watch for the the win of it all. I watch for the thrill to see the, that these kids have grown, turned into grown men and they playing big roles on these teams. And they used to these bright lights because they were put in these positions as kids. This is like, it's like a proud father, you know, because every kid that plays in my league is considered my baby because more than likely they come in as babies and they leave as men. So they may outgrow my lap, but they'll never outgrow my heart. Well, in terms of his personal right, there life you go. as well. How about, uh, how about that, Rod? Who said that? Oh, that's Snoop Dogg right there. Talk about C.J. Stroud. Yeah, played in his Johnson. league. Played his kids as quarterback with the, Ste- the Pomona mm-hmm. Steelers. Yes, Snoop Dogg's <laughs> been – I mean, he's got a nice little list of awesome. uh, players who've made it all the way to the league now. He's been doing those youth leagues for probably more than like 15 years now, something like that. And then there a movie out time. about that. I, I played uh, on a 7-on-7 team that played one of his teams in Vegas in a, in a really? tournament one time. We beat them. That's cool. But we beat them. That's, they had like a a tour bus with like you know Snoop Dogg and like they, they were they were like the most swagged out team there for sure. We oh, I, I imagine that. I bet, I bet they thought they were going to beat us by fifty points, but we we stomped them. Go Chaps. Go Chaps. Yeah, go Chaps. That's pretty cool. That That's a really nice fun. sentiment by uh, Snoop Dogg and now rooting for C.J. Stroud, who of course and they went on. That was on Rich Eisen, of course, here on the station, and they went into you know his father was in prison and still in prison. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, his, his coach of the team really took him under his wing. It was a father figure. It's just a great story of how, how sports can help, you know, help keep kids out of trouble and they get them on a good path. Agreed. Yeah. Transform lives. No doubt. Forever. Um, all right. So, uh, Ty, I sent you a, f- a few of these clips. So, uh, just dial any of one of them up and we can play Who Said That? We know what we're capable of and we wasn't putting that out on the field. 
Um, so when you got guys like Lamar who's upset about that kind of stuff, um, who usually don't tend to talk that much, but when he does, it's very vocal. Um, you just got to sit, sit up and listen. Uh, the guy got something good to say, um, and he was rightfully so in the right place to say what he said. So, um, you know, that's when it's our job to just keep giving the ball back and let them do what they do. We know what we can. Is that, uh, is that Roquan Smith or? Oh, you're close. Patrick Queen. Patrick Queen, the other right linebacker. You're close, yeah. Well, obviously, we played it earlier. Uh, Lamar Jackson was asked about what happened at halftime, and he said, oh, I, I can't say it in this press conference, but we had some words because <laughs> we were 10-10, and um, we had to start bringing it. They outscored Houston 24 nothing in the second half. That's what leaders do. That's what leaders do. Yeah, I mean, somebody had to get up and give his team a good, you know, dog cussing because they weren't getting it done. And, by the way, but you can't do that if you're not going to be the guy to lead by example. To show up you in can the only half. yeah you can only be that guy if you're right you you're gonna lead out by getting out in front of the group and going all right watch me all right I just told y'all what I'm gonna do now I'm watch me go out there and do it and then y'all follow me well if you can did. understand Lamar Jackson he's heard all the noise about a one and three playoff record it's 10-10 with Houston at the half and it's like yo hey yeah what are we doing here uh, <laughs> that team can't get out of its own way with turnover with penalties and things let's just go take this take this game over and they did yeah. they were awesome from that point on. Uh, all right, Rod, who said this? Uh, it's somebody we talked about throughout the morning, but uh, you haven't heard his voice. Here we go. You told me the other day you were nervous out here. While enjoying it, you were nervous. What were the emotions like, especially coming down the stretch? Nothing like I've ever felt. Um, yeah, I mean, it's so cool. I, I told Sam numerous times, like, it is so cool to be out here and, and experience this as an amateur. And um, whether I had made that or missed that, and if you'd have told me that, you know, come Wednesday night, I'd have a putt to win this golf tournament. It's, I, I wouldn't believe you. What was the walk like for you down 18, and how aware were you of that you only had a one-shot lead? I wasn't. Um, I, I thought I had a two-shot lead, and uh, that's kind of our line was almost right of the green. It's like just don't hit this in the water kind of. Um, but, uh, no, and, and then obviously I, I think I hit somebody, so I'm sorry for that was. But, um, you know, got a great break and was able to give myself a good look. You had a six-footer to win on the PGA right, Tour. What there you go. There is your winner. Nick Dunlap. Nick Dunlap, the 20-year-old unicorn rod. Youngest amateur to win a PGA Tour event since 1910. That's a long time. That's 100-plus years. It's a long time, man. And the first amateur since Phil Mickelson in 91. Now, Phil was an uh, upperclassman at, at Arizona State when he won his on the tour. This kid's a sophomore. Yeah, he won't be. <laughs> uh, we're waiting on that uh, announcement that he's turning pro any any hour now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. At, one, at any point today. Somebody will correct me, but I'm pretty sure Jordan Spieth turned pro at 20 after he had had some success on the tour, right? He had those exemptions that he played, the Byron Nelson, mm -hmm. and he had shown that he can hang. He didn't win, though. Tiger Woods didn't win. This dude's winning. In four years at Stanford. I don't know what you're waiting three, on. Three years at Stanford. What you're waiting on, dude. Let's go. Let's go. Time to turn pro. Well, because now he has all the exemption. He can go play. He, he's won, a, won an event. Now, he didn't get to keep the $1.5 million. Ooh, that's why you need to leave. Yeah. That's why it's time to go pro. He'll get that trophy. Need that one point five. I think he gets the, tr the trophy, whatever the trophy looks like. Uh, for the American uh, Express. Man, everybody gets a trophy. <laughs> I want that cash. And you know what? As we said, the rule is if an amateur wins, which almost never happens, second place gets the first place check. Man, you need to buy that dude. You need to buy young Nick Dunlap a Rolex or something nice, something real nice. Yeah, some real nice. Student Hope is gonna have to send him a couple watches. Buy him a new iPhone, new iPad. Well, the minute something. he goes pro, it won't be an NCAA issue, so we can just send him whatever he wants. Oh, buy him a car. Him a gift of cash. Dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah, wire him some Give cash. Him a bag, right? Yeah. There you go. All right, we'll come back. We'll pick up the fabulous fifth hour. There's some who said that. I'll hook him up on a on a Monday morning.